Almost always the churches that are in decline have lost vision for their backyard. grab a seat. It is good to have you all in the house of the Lord today. Uh, I am excited as we continue our series, uh, the growth track. In fact, this is the last week in this series. Next week, we're going to start a series where we're going to reclaim the word love. Uh, And so you definitely want to come back next week. Listen, in our modern day and age, I mean, it feels, anybody here ever read like George or or like Orwell, 1984, anybody ever read that book? Does it not feel like that's happening? Like words are changing their meaning constantly. And I don't think people mean, like when the world says be loving, they don't even have a consistent definition. So we're going to spend next week defining the word love as it is defined by God and will be defined for forever. So not just what was the definition of love, but what will the definition of love be for forever. And so uh, I can't wait to jump into next week. Uh, be looking, pay attention to your email. I'm going to send some stuff out this week to kind of prepare you to think about it. Uh, I'm very excited about next week. But before we get to that, we want to shore up this series on the growth track. So my big thing in this fall, every fall in this series that we do, is I want to be really clear, really, really clear. What I want for you is that you find life to the full. I want that for you. I mean, I desire that you absolutely discover not just the life, Jesus for you, but that you can discover how the love of Jesus can work through you to make massive change in this very broken world. It's not only that you find your identity in Christ, but that you help others find the beautiful identity that Christ gives you. You see, you are supposed to participate in this. In fact, the way I would say it is Christianity, we've talked about this every week, the last couple of weeks, Christianity is to be participated in and not merely observed. You're to join in on this. Now, the really cool thing, and we've talked about this a lot, quick review, is all of us are made unique. So there are people that are watching online. I mean, especially post-COVID, the online thing has become huge for many churches. So if you're watching online, love you. Thank you for joining us. Um, But man, if you are... If you're a part of this, you remember the last couple of weeks, God made us all incredibly unique. So you might be in this room, and you might be like a single parent. Um, You might be in this room, and you might be an empty nester. You might be in this room, and you might have brand new babies at home. You might be in this room. Whatever age and stage you are, there is a uniqueness to you. So imagine, the metaphor we've used over the last few weeks, imagine that you walk outside, and there's a tree, like so a beautiful, huge tree with many leaves, the canopy of leaves. All All of these leaves are incredibly unique. Now, the difference between our cultural word, like when someone pop culture uses the word unique, what they mean is like independent, so cut off from the tree. I'm my own thing. When we talk about uniqueness in Christ, we mean for you to have uniqueness that has life in it, that you are still attached. So in all of your uniqueness, all the little unique ways in which you can express God and how you're crafted in your age, in your stage, in your place in life, What we find in scripture is you're connected, right, to even fewer and then even fewer branches and then even one trunk. So there are parts of us in all of our uniqueness that we ought to share in common. 
things that we are to stay connected to even as we are expressing our unique version of ourselves. And so when you look through history, we've talked about this the last number of weeks, we've identified four common branches, right, go with the metaphor here, that we're all to be connected to even in our unique variants of ourselves. And we have called them the growth track. You stay connected in these. The growth track, right, we talked about this. Four weeks ago, really clearly, the growth track isn't merely a set of tasks to accomplish, but practices to make part of your life rhythms, right? Like, this is who you are. It's what you do. So in your uniqueness as a single mom, in your uniqueness as an empty nester, in your uniqueness as a surgeon or as a salesman, in all of the unique versions of you, these four practices are lifestyles that you maintain to be Christian. It's not a task. You don't do it once and move on. It's a state of living. The first one we talked about four weeks ago is encounter. Josh shared with us. We have staff members attached to each of these. And encounter is about gathering with other believers in corporate worship. It's about purposely taking time to cut out all the external noise and remember your origin and your destination to learn the truths of Christ. Man, to, to understand what it means to be Christian. I mean, the gathering of believers, Scripture says, do not forsake the gathering of believers as some are in the habit of doing, um, especially all the more as you see the day approaching. Like, as the world gets crazier, you should work more at remembering what is true, true, not what is worldly definition of true. The first place you do that that we find in Scripture is through encounter. It's church, literally attending church and community. Encounter, discover. Discover is where you go when you learn the story of the church and your story, and you overlap your story and the story of the church where they come together. Think of like a Venn diagram. So the story of the church, your story personally, you want to overlap those. You should not be at a church where you spend 20 years merely sitting in a pew observing others do Christianity. You are to participate in it. And the way you do that in our organization is you go to Discover Trinity and you learn the story of the church and your story and you overlap those. And you may need to do it multiple times in your journey. You should. Um, the first time you go through Discover Trinity, you might be young with kids at home and then your kids move out. You're at a new season of life, a new stage of life. Your story, the story of where the church is at, how do they overlap together? So encounter, discover, and then connect is all about small groups. You were not meant to do life alone. We covered that in detail last week. And this week, we're going to talk about being sent, the prime mission of the believer. So our staff member that's attached to our sent piece of this is AJ. So if you would, welcome Pastor AJ Welk to the stage. Now, as he's making his way up here, I just want to remind you in my super quick overview, if you're at all confused, you can go online, EncounterTrinity.com, and look at the previous weeks as we unpack these in detail. And so, uh, AJ, man, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Uh, so, really quick. Now, you guys all know AJ. He preaches here on and off. Uh, AJ is awesome. I love you, man. You do a great job. I love how God is working in your heart, and I cannot wait to see where the Lord ultimately takes you even. I'm proud of you very much so. Thank you. Uh, okay, so first question we have is, what do we mean? So we've asked this every week. By each of these terms, what exactly do we mean when we say sent? Yeah, that's a great question to open up with because I'm sure for many of you, and even over the last few years at Trinity, as we've closed every single service, and you can help me out here, you're not just dismissed, you are 
sent. We've closed every single service like that. For some of us, that may have been a newer word. That might have been something that's like, wait, okay, what does that mean? I'm sent, okay, we come together, God gathers us, God sends us out. And it might have been something that would be unfamiliar. Fortunately, though, we're not unique in what we're trying to do. Right. We are trying to carry out the Great Commission. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 28, it's so clear where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to him, and he says, I promise my presence will be with you now and until the end of the age. So sent for us is not unique. We're not trying to trailblaze some brand new thing. Rather, we're just trying to participate in what the church has always been called to, that the gospel would not just be for us and right. for our transformation, but it would be for everyone. Everyone we come into contact with, our neighbors, our families, we want to be participating in the mission of God. So that's, that's what we mean by sent. It's the Great Commission. Right. And it's interesting because uh, you, if you go and you visit churches, so if you've, you know, you're watching online, maybe you're checking out different churches, you come and visit, you're checking out churches, you ought to walk in each biblically centered church and go, man, they all kind of feel similar. Yes, that's exactly right. They're supposed to have massive overlap. Now, the graphics may look a little different. One may have pews, one may have chairs, but man, the primary vision and mission of the church should be the same for the last few thousand years, right? And until Jesus comes back again. We know what we're to be about. In fact, if you go to a church and they don't have the prime mission and vision of the Bible as a part of their DNA, it's not a church. It's not a church. It could be something else, all right? A, a nice club or a gathering and pep talk place. I don't know. A TED talk. I don't know. Whatever it is, right? But it's not necessarily a church. A church should have the primary mission, vision, and values of the Bible ought to be the church. So we may have different little words that we use or graphics that we use, but the mission and vision is the same. Okay, so this leads to the next question. If the scent is like, I mean, that is why we're still here. It's for this mission. Who is God calling us to? Yeah, that's a, a good question in the sense that the Great Commission is a meta theme. It's been a command. It's been a commission for all of the history of the church. But what we want to do here at Trinity by calling it Living Scent is we want to make it personal. We want to make it real. It wouldn't just be an idea. It wouldn't just be a concept because though Jesus is calling all believers of all times, all churches to live out the Great Commission until ultimately it's fulfilled, we want to make it really clear to you. How is God working in your life? Where has he planted you? What is he doing in your life so that you might participate in the Great Commission? So one of these quotes that, that I have for who is God calling you to uh, is, is this idea, and it says this, the most important person is the one sitting right in front of you. The most important person is the one sitting right in front of you. I love this quote, especially in the technology age. Yeah. In, in the technology age where we dinner and we hang out with people and we choose to be on our phone rather than be present with the person. I love this quote. The most important person is the one in front of you. And so I think when we begin to take this idea of living sent seriously, we just ask God, who have you put in my life? Who, who have you put me in community with? And for some of you all, you might spend 10, 14 hours a day with your kids as the people in front of you. Those are the disciples you're making. That's where you're giving all of your effort, your energy, your prayer. You shouldn't feel bad about investing well in the person that's right in front of you. Maybe for you, that that's the person you work with. Maybe you spend eight hours a day at your job and there's a couple different people you work really closely with. I think one of the best things we can do as a church 
is open our eyes to who's right in front of us and begin to model that. Yeah. So if your kids are right in front of you, as you hang out with other families, as you go out to eat, as you do life, model to them that the most important person is the one right in front of you, that you would love well, that you would be that, that kind of person that intentionally puts them first and shares the gospel. Man, a couple of interesting things that come to my mind from that. Um, I had a mentor of mine years ago tell me, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home, like as a little axiom. And, uh, and he, was a, he was a church consultant. And so he told me that, uh, this is, I know this is gonna sound a little weird, but he said, what I find when I go into a church that's struggling and I ask them, you know, mission, vision, and all they ever talk about is missionaries around the world, and they don't talk about missionaries in their backyard, it's a sign of an unhealthy church. Almost always the churches that are in decline have lost vision for their backyard. They've lost vision for their backyard. Now, it's not bad to have vision for around the world. You should have that. That should be a part of it. That's absolutely right. But if all you have is vision for around the world and you don't have vision for your own backyard, you're still missing the primary objective, right? Like the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. Um, And that always kind of stuck with me. And even in grad school, so in between my master's and my doctoral work, uh, I did some revitalization, leadership revitalization, organizational revitalization, one-off classes. And it was really interesting, focusing primarily on church work, how incredibly tight this idea of I am called to my own family and my own neighborhood is into a church that's healthy and thriving. Like, those go together. You cannot separate them. If the church loses its vision for its own backyard, it'll burn out. Um, And so, man, it's important that we learn to open our eyes. And then the other thing that hit me, too, over the last number of years, and it was actually my my parents loved them, wonderful, godly people. Um, My dad would tell me often, he was like, I have five kids. He's like, your first disciples are already living in your home. They're already living in your home. And you, you do, you learn with your own kids. I mean, raise them up, open your eyes to the people that are there. In fact, my parents would say, it's not just the kids that live at home. The next disciples are even all the friends that they bring into the house. So when my kids bring a friend into the house, I want to shine the light of Jesus to those too, right? Like in our own backyard, open your eyes to the people that are actually around you right now. Listen, Grandmas and grandpas, I know even some of the older folks, especially in this first of all of our services today, in this first service, some of our older folks, I'm telling you, you might actually have your greatest mission field be your grandbabies. And you be unbelievably intentional with your grandchildren, teaching the ways and heart and nature of Jesus. I mean, I think some of those powerful things that even grandparents could do is pick their grandkids up and bring them to church with them. Right? Like, open your eyes to your own backyard. I need to stop soapboxing. All right, next question that comes to my mind is this, is how can Trinity, so us as an organization, um, help with that process? Yeah, I mean, we got to turn to Scripture again here because in Ephesians chapter 4, there's this famous verse that talks about the idea of what the role of the pastors in a church are and then what the role of the saints, the church people are. And it says this, For God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds to equip the saints, to equip the people of the church for works of service. The question I have out of that, um, which is a little bit ironic, how big of a problem would it be if Pastor Mike 
was the only one who shared Christ with others. Now, Mike on this tree, unique, he's got a great leaf. He's a cool-looking leaf probably up there, but that's only one leaf. He's only one leaf. What Mike's job, what my job, what our pastoral team, our job is to equip you all, the hundreds of leaves that have access into homes, neighborhoods, buildings, workplaces that we would never have. So that's our role. How can Trinity help is we want to be a people, we want to be a pastoral team that sets you up to share the love of Christ. I mean, we we often, it just gets me thinking. Uh, So church history buffs here, I mean, I know we have some people in in our room that have been to seminary. For you church history buffs, you'll know the first church wasn't built for evangelism. Though we think that's the purpose of the church today, It wasn't, the first churches weren't structured for evangelism. They were structured to empower the saints to go do the evangelism. They existed to equip the saints for works of service. Now, absolutely, evangelism was a part of it. But the prime purpose, the prime purpose of the worship service was to equip saints for works of service. Not primarily evangelism. Evangelism was supposed to be originally through the people. And what happened over the years, especially in the last 50 years, is the people, I mean, Culture made it inappropriate to proselytize. And as the people did less and less evangelism in their neighborhood, the churches, in a sense, cut out the middleman. But that was not the original purpose of the church through most of its history. So what we want to do is we want to remind laity what your original purpose was. I'm not giving you a new one. I'm giving you back your first one. It's actually a recent phenomenon in the church that we would elevate one voice. So all these like mega church pastors where it's one lead pastor, one, one voice is elevated. They're the one always speaking, always doing this. That's actually a recent phenomenon. For the, all the ages of the church, the goal has been that that pastor, that person would elevate the voices of all of you, that your voice would be made strong and that you would be able to share the transformation that's happened in your life with the people around you. It's recent that that's happened. Yeah, it's crazy how like when you read through, I mean like the Pauline letters, when you read through the Pauline letters, you could think of him as like a mega church guy. But the truth was, is those letters were written to almost exclusively churches or even leaders in the church to mobilize them. He wasn't like in front of big, massive crowds winning people. That wasn't the primary thing, though there was some of that in what he did. His primary thing was planting churches and empowering leaders and raising them up and sending them out. So when you're reading the letters in the Bible, you're not always, but most often looking into a leader of leaders, helping coach other leaders on how to go do the gospel. That's the picture you're looking at. And so we have in our modern day and age, the assumption we make is it's not my job. Evangelism's not my job. It's the churches. Well, you are capital C, the church, and it is your job. It is your job. That was maybe a little strong. Uh, pastor loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, pastor loves you. <laughs> pastor, pastor loves you. Pastor loves you. Okay, um, how can you help with that process? So AJ, specifically, like job description, what is your job? Just if you can nail that down really quick, I'd like to know it too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, if any of you have been confused by the term mobilization pastor, you're not alone. I've had a lot of people walk up, what's mobilization pastor? Am I supposed to like get more active? Like, am I supposed to run more? Um, I've had people come up and talk about that. But in essence, what my role is, is I want to partner with all of you. Um, My role is to get coffee, we can do phone calls, meals, whatever it takes to equip you all to actually be living out the gospel. So here's the deal, and we're going to get to this in the last question. 
You might be anywhere on the spectrum of sharing the gospel. Maybe you haven't done it in a couple years. It feels really foreign and weird. How do, I, how do I share the gospel in a culture that seems against Christianity? Like, what am I supposed to do there? Um, maybe you do it all the time and you're constantly doing that. I just want to partner with any of you. So please reach out my email, my phone number, whatever it takes to just have conversations. To, to be a church that actually leans in intentionally to who, who's the, who are the people in front of us? Who are those people in our lives, in our workplaces, in our families that we can share the gospel with? And I know it can be tricky, so, so that's my role is to help actually encourage you, support you, uh, lean into even what God's doing in your life. Yeah, that's right. And this, I mean, this goes right into the next thing. So helping mobilize our people to be the gospel to those around them. And really, the first thing is just opening your eyes. You know, who are the people that are around you right now? Who do you work with? Who's in your home? Um, who is your neighbor? Uh, then in all honesty, like as an organization, so if we exist to equip the saints for works of service, functionally, what is our equipping tool that we use to help them go do evangelism? Yeah, the, the very next step, and it's actually only a few hours away, it works out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the very next step is we have sent gatherings four times a year. And so in each of these different growth track steps, we're prioritizing encounter with God, meeting as believers. We're prioritizing discover who God's made us to be. We're prioritizing groups, connecting with each other. We're not doing life alone. Sent gatherings is how we at Trinity prioritize mission four times a year. It's not that much, but we're asking that you as our people would come four times a year to talk, pray, and just encourage one another to be the light of Jesus in the world. It's going to be over a meal. We're going to share in conversation. Pastor Mike's going to lead us through a lot of different questions about, hey, how have the past few months been going? What's working well? What's not? What are the big roadblocks? And you're going to get to share with other people in yeah. your church about how things have been going. They're going to pray for you, encourage you, because we want to plan intentionally. We don't want mission to get dropped off. Even as you said, we don't want to become a church that we're sending out all these missionaries, which we love. We love sending missionaries to foreign countries, to other places, but we don't want to miss out on the opportunities that God God is leading us in our own backyard. Yeah. Scent gathering is the, the first step on this of how we as a church prioritize four times a year, prioritize mission. Yeah, and the truth is if, you, if you're thinking, I don't know how to share the gospel with my neighbor or even get to the point where I can, how great is it to sit in a room and brainstorm with other people? I mean, the creative ideas of loving your neighbor, the creative ideas of engaging um, is, is awesome. And when you sit in that room, I mean, I have sat in that room even over the last couple of times, and I'll hear somebody go, yeah, I was thinking about, was it tennis or pickleball or something, you know, drop out and invite, little things that I never would have thought of that opened up the, the door to engaging with people. And so definitely want to come um, so that you can answer this question, to whom are you sent as a question? To whom are you sent? I mean, if you still live on this planet as a Christian and you don't know to whom you are sent, you have not stepped into your primary purpose yet. To whom are you sent? Question mark. Is it, and, and it changes throughout life in ages and stages. You know, without a doubt, as a young mom with a busy home, lots of kids, to whom are you sent? Maybe it's just being ultra intentional in your own home with your own children. Right? To whom are you sent? Maybe it's God putting your neighbor on your heart. To whom are you sent? Um, and so we want to help you answer that question, to whom are you sent? So you can answer clearly, I know um, the people that God has called me to bring his light and love to. That's what we want to do. AJ, man, thank you for coming out and talking with us a little bit. Um, I do really quick, and uh, I'm going to pull some of these ideas together. I know today is a little different. Next week, we're going to get into the guts of some deep thoughts, and I'm excited about that. 
But I do want to pause for a moment, and I want to go to the Matthew 28, 18 through 20 text, right? So, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. A little context, really fast. I mean, for literally thousands of years, you go back to the Old Testament, and they were talking about this idea of a Messiah over and over again. Love the prophecies of old. Um, in fact, I want to do a series at some point in the future where we examine the prophecies of Christ um, in the ancient prophetic literature, the prophecies of the Messiah. So thousands of years, thousands of years, they've been waiting for this dude to come to come, this guy to come. And somebody shows up who kind of fits the bill. I mean, like he's doing miracles, the born of a virgin, right family line, and a lot of people are beginning to get really excited about this Jesus guy. And then what happens in the story, as you know, the story of Jesus made really ultra simple. Jesus gathers his group together, and in the last days of his ministry, it gets really complex. He's betrayed by Judas, betrayed by Peter. He ultimately ends up on a cross, and he dies. And the disciples scatter initially, and then they end up like in hiding in an upper room. So the whole Jesus story totally falls apart, at least to them at that point in history. And then Jesus flips the script. The dude comes back to life. That's kind of cool. Not just for a few people, but many witnesses see him. He walks and talks, engages. And at that point, man, at the resurrection, the story of Jesus goes from something that would have been obscure, like many other leaders, to something that people will debate and wrestle and think and talk about by the billions because that tomb was empty and so many people saw him after death. But I want you to hang with me for just a moment. Like, think this through. These people that were really committed to him, especially those ladies, man, they went to the cross with him. They've been to the gates of hell with this person they loved and watched him die and come back to life. Maybe the way to say it would be this. Our hero, Jesus comes into this messy world, dies for our sins, saves us, and then goes to paradise and leaves us all behind in this. I mean, like, there's different ways to look at the ascension, right? Like, in a sense, cool, we won, Jesus came back to life. And then in a, like... I mean, if you're like pessimistic, half glass, empty kind of person, the pessimistic way is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, peace out, you go to heaven and you leave us here to be tortured and die. I want to go with you. Like, so the $10 million question, even Christian, like, when you give your life to the Lord, why did Jesus leave us here? I mean, the truth is, when you give your life to the Lord and you get baptized, wouldn't it be way more cool if you go down to get, like, baptized, and while you're under the water, you just, like, disappear? And you get to go to heaven, and you don't have to put up with Ukraine and Russia and the economy and politics, and wouldn't that be awesome? 
But guess what? You do have to put up with it, and you are still here. You get saved, and he puts you, sometimes it feels like you get saved, and he puts you in more mess. Have you ever noticed that? You give your heart to the Lord, and you're like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Thank you so much for your grace. And God's like, I'm going to align the stars that you get into even a more messy situation at work. And I'm going to put you in a relationship with somebody that's even more annoying. And I'm going to give you a kid that has health issues. And I'm going to give you a spouse in which you got to really, like, it gets more complicated. Have you ever noticed that? Like, Jesus heads to heaven, goes to paradise, and leaves us in mess, and sometimes puts us in more mess. So the $10 million question is, why did Jesus leave us here? Why does he leave us here? Because this is not fun most days. Christian, Jesus left us in this mess to make more disciples. That's why you're here. In fact, he wants you to show the love and light of Jesus in messy places, in messy situations, in messy neighborhoods, in complex families, with complex kids. That light that's in you, he leaves it here because he so loved the world that God gave his son and God through his son now works through us to go into the world and make disciples. So what does this mean? It means in your home, with your kids, with your friends, as a mentor, volunteering in ministry, and with a friend or a neighbor, like wherever. God left you in this messy world to grow his family. That's why you're still here. That is your purpose. That's why you're still here. That's why he lets you stay in this mess. Man, I remember a number of years ago, I was talking with an older person who was uh, dying. Like they, so if you live long enough and your friends pass away, your spouse passes away, you know, everybody kind of moves on, and then you feel left behind. Like, I've noticed that with some of the older folks, where they're ready to go. You're praying with them as they're battling with cancer or sickness at an older age, and they're like, listen, I watched my spouse die, my friends have died, my, like, I have so many people I love on the other side of this, I'm ready to go. And then sometimes God heals them. And at that point in life, it's almost to their frustration. And then they got to go back to that nursing home for another couple months, another couple years, with back that still hurts and knee that still doesn't work. And they don't understand why does God allow me to be here? And so you sit down and you ask him, all right, well, let's, let's think about this. Why would a loving God let you stay in this very suffering, awful world? Who needs to hear his love through you? And man, you can watch prayer warriors emerge out of nursing homes. Powerful witnesses Listen, I want you to know to whom you are sent. 
so that you can taste your purpose and not just feel like you're waiting for death. We do these scent gatherings, right? Because I want you to be able to answer the question, to whom are you sent? I get that this isn't culturally popular. I get that proselytizing isn't supposed to be accepted. I get that you're supposed to hide your faith and keep it just to yourself and everything else that culture pushes on us. But I'm here to tell you, that is not what the Bible says to do. And if you're going to step into your purpose, you're going to step out of cultural appropriation at some level, like being appropriate. You just, you will. So my challenge to you, oh Christian friend, come to one of our sent gatherings. We have one tonight at five o'clock at East Fishers. This one's gonna be over at East Fishers on Olio Road at that location. We're gonna have food, lots of conversation, and we're gonna have a conversation about to whom you are sent. So you can know right now at this time in life, these are the people that God is calling me to be missional with. And he hasn't taken me home yet, so I got purpose. All right, if you would, grab the Next Steps card. They're in the back of the chairs in front of you. Um, or if you're in the front row, I guess it'd be right behind you. And I just want you to take a moment this morning. I'm going to let Alyssa lead this. Um, but I want you to take a moment this morning and just ask the question, right? I want to ask this question to you. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What is your next step? Um, how should you respond to this? What is God speaking into your heart? Please don't merely listen to this sermon. If you have a prayer request, maybe you know to whom you are sent and you want us to pray for them too, we will. So maybe for you, you know to whom you are sent. You're like, man, it is my third child who's running from the Lord. I am praying for them. They are on my heart. Write that down and we'll pray with you for the person that you feel called to. Maybe it's a step that you need to take. What is the Holy Spirit speaking in your heart? Take a moment write it out on the card. I love you. And then here in a few minutes, we're going to even have people that would pray with you. If you want to come up and pray for the person you feel called to, don't just drop a card off, but go spend time with somebody and pray. Be like, man, um, would you pray for me? I'm really praying for my cousin, for my uncle, for my friend, for my neighbor, for my child. And let's get ultra intentional because you're still here. You're still here. God still believes that you can embark on his purpose for you. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps.